What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder podcast here with you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here, of course, of The Athletic. And Jeff is in Seattle. I am back in New Orleans. That means Jeff was on site to see the Saints almost unbelievably beat the Seattle Seahawks 33-27. I don't know if it was necessarily unbelievable that they won, but maybe in the fashion that they won, given all the circumstances. I, I thought, and Jeff, you thought... We both thought they had a fighter's chance in this game. But for them to go up three scores at one point, I think is probably taking away everyone, including the Saints at this point. Jeff, you, your feet on the ground in Seattle. Uh, and uh, this whole podcast is going to be all Saints, Seahawks. We know LSU won big, Tulane won in dramatic fashion. We've chronicled all that on The Athletic already. But this is hot and fresh, so we'll go Saints, Seahawks in this podcast. Of course, the freebie podcast where you can listen to podcast wherever you can apple spotify you name it it's of course there but jeff your feet on the ground your reaction to what you saw and the reaction that you saw within the locker room just jubilation with this big win yeah larry i think if the saints played this game 10 times they couldn't get a better scenario to play out than the way it it scripted in this game i mean to get the early punt return to get the the takeaway uh scoop and score from vaughn bell uh, you basically got a special teams and a defensive touchdown, your first two scores with your offense not having to really do anything, and that was so critical in the first game you're playing without Drew Brees. I think it gave the offense a lot of confidence. Uh, they were able to kind of find their way and get into a rhythm, but it also helped take the crowd out of the game, which as we saw very early, the Saints were having all kinds of trouble with the, with that crowd noise uh, on their first series. So it couldn't really have played out much better. They, they really didn't make any egregious mistakes except the punt return uh, fumble by Deontay Harris. But I thought they had, you know, Sean Payton talks a lot about getting control of a game. And I thought they had control of this game from about the first quarter on and managed it uh, just about perfectly. And when you just look at the stat sheet and you don't look for a score, it screams Seattle win. I mean, they had far more first downs. They had far more offense, and yet uh, you look at one critical statistic. They were better on third down, uh, even though both weren't great on third down. But all you got to do is look at the top of this thing. The Saints were one of one on uh, on fourth down. The Seahawks were one of four on fourth down. Uh, Those those fourth down stops, to me, might get lost in kind of the the big-time superlatives and I know we're going to talk a lot about Teddy Bridgewater and Alvin Kamara was phenomenal, but I think we need to give, even though the yards look whacked out, you got to give the defense a lot of credit. I did not expect them to be able to come out. And even though they didn't really sack uh, Russell Wilson, they were able to create turnovers and come up with big plays in big spots. And like I said, I think I wanted to start with that first, just because I feel like a lot of times, uh, their superlatives might get kind of thrown out of the way because the numbers were a little skewed. Yeah, I, I think it was a, you know, this is a cliche, but I think it certainly applies in this game. It was a total team win. I mean, they've got contributions from all aspects of their team. I thought the game plan was really, really smart. 
but I agree, Larry. I thought the defense played a sneaky good game because they 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 shut down the run for the most part. It, it helped that Chris Carson couldn't stand up. <laughs> you know, I think he fell three times in the backfield. Um, but the turf was on the Saints' <laughs> side today, Jeff. That was like the, their twelfth man. Yeah, right? I mean, he, he had Mike Bell's cleats on. I think I don't know what was going on with that. It, it was <laughs> look, it was raining. It was it was wet. Uh, but um, I thought they had a good plan for Russell Wilson. I asked several of the defensive players what it was, and they didn't really do anything in particularly special. They they widened their rush lanes to try and keep him in the pocket and funnel him into the interior so he couldn't get outside. And even with that, a few times he was able to to do it and escape uh, the pressure and buy time to find receivers downfield. But once the Saints got that big lead, thanks to the defense and special teams, it really kind of, I think, threw the, the Seahawks game plan off. And I thought that I thought that score right before halftime was huge. Uh, to me, that changed the complexion of the game and kind of put Seattle in catch-up mode and really gave the Saints, uh, you know, a ton of confidence going in the locker room at halftime with that with that big lead. I thought that was the biggest kind of momentum uh, point of the game for the Saints. And Jeff, who said Al Woods never did anything for the Saints? Former draft pick for the Saints way back when I think in 2010 I feel like yep. it's been that far far back he lines up over the center Will Lutz actually kicks the field goal short that extends the drive so I put on Twitter hey he gets a game ball Al Woods come on down get he, Sean Payton should just hand him one uh, but yeah I, I I agree with you that if I were going to say man there was kind of the uh, a turning point that score, and then you get the ball back in the second half. I think that certainly helps there. But, uh, Jeff, as far as the rest of the defense, I mean, when you look at what they were able to do on fourth down, because that's if, – if one of those goes in the di- a different direction, maybe the Seahawks come down and score, and the momentum changes. And uh, I think those stops uh, were huge, outs- and they're not, the, they're not going to be the same thing as the – fumble recovery for a touchdown or, uh, or or any of the other big-time plays on the offense. No, great point, Larry. I, I, I really feel like the uh, defensive line played a very good game, even though it doesn't show up in the stat sheet. You know, they, they controlled uh, the line of scrimmage, I thought. They stayed in their lanes. Those big stops were almost all great, great uh, push by the defensive line. Uh, I thought they, they dominated Seattle in the trenches, and I thought they would. I thought that was a big advantage for the Saints. But I really think, and I don't want to discount what, what happened today, but I really think sometimes games like this play out, and the Saints just had a lot of things go their way. Uh, you mentioned lining up off, you know, lining up over the center and a field goal. and um, It just, things played out for them, and it changed the circumstances in the game, and the Saints were able to get control of the game and really, the game plans kind of went out the window. I don't think Sean Payton came into this game thinking uh, he was going to use Alvin Kamara as much as he did. But once he's got the lead, uh, he's got such great ball security, uh, and he's such a great player. I mean, we saw some of those plays he made today um, against a very good defense, very good tackling defense. Uh, how can you take him out of the game? I mean, you can't use Latavius Murray because Alvin Kamara is just too good. Uh, two runs today from Murray, uh, 16 for Kamara, and he really was the entire offense for the most part, even though I thought Teddy Bridgewater uh, did exactly what he needed to do, didn't make mistakes. This was the Alvin Kamara show today on offense. 
And I'm just going to spout off the numbers, the yards, the disparities is wild. And just goes to show you that when other things happen, like a punt return for a touchdown or a defensive touchdown, uh, that the numbers could certainly not tell the story. Just like 265 yards of offense for the Saints, 515 for the Seahawks. Only 50 offensive plays for the Saints, 76 for the Seahawks, 88 yards rushing, Uh, to 109 for the Seahawks, 177 yards passing to 406 yards. But even though, and let's dive into Teddy Bridgewater, we'll jump back in with Alvin Kamara and some of the other things that happened within this game. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater wasn't sacked. He didn't throw a pick. Was it picture perfect all the time? No, but I do feel like once you got that drive at the end of the first half and he came back out in the second half, he looked far more comfortable. At least that's how I felt it on TV. Uh, Jeff, you were there, and then, of course, you heard Teddy Bridgewater talk and the players talk about him in the locker room. Is that kind of the sense that you got, uh, that he felt more comfortable as the game went on? There's no doubt about it. I mean, he looked out of sorts early. The whole offense looked out of sorts. But, again, getting getting those early scores by the special teams and defense took the pressure off. Uh, he didn't have to force anything. They could stay balanced. They could use the running game and the passing game. Uh, a punt was not a bad play. Uh, he did exactly what he needed to do, but all the circumstances were in his favor today. Everything worked out perfectly for Bridgewater and the offense. If they get down 14 nothing and he's got to start trying to lead a comeback, everything changes. So today was – I don't want to say it was an outlier, but I really do think the way this game played out, it's really hard to truly evaluate – um, Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, we're going to need more of a body of work because this game was strictly, hey, don't mess up. You got a, you know, you got a, a quick lead. He was able to dump the ball off to Kamara, and he magically uh, made plays that should have just been 10, 10-yard gains. Uh, they were – teams turned them into 30, 40-yard gains. I mean, it was just incredible the plays he made. He, he kind of was a little beast mode out there uh, of all places. So I really feel like – um, we'll see going forward. It's not going to be this easy next week against Dallas. There's no doubt. How much do you think there was a game plan for Taysom to play quarterback? Do you think it was altered in, in, or any bit? Or do you think that Sean's original plan was, all right, let's 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 play Teddy almost the entire game because we didn't see Taysom take too many snaps at quarterback? Yeah, you know what? That's a good question. And I talked to Peyton afterward today after the press conference about some other stuff involving the game plan. And he said that um, they planned to use a very similar workload with Taysom as they did when Drew's there. It wasn't going to be a whole lot different. Uh, he said we had some special pack plays in the package for him. I think they were going to try and take some shots with him, but they didn't have to once they got the lead. And I do think that everything changed once they got that big lead. Um, they didn't really need to use him that much. You saw them bring him into the game late to kind of be the closer in that read option run game. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see going forward how they work these two quarterbacks uh, because I do think today, like I said, was almost a, an anomaly with how this game played out. As far as Teddy's reaction after the game, uh, for those who didn't watch the press conference, I know uh, you and Catherine Terrell are certainly going to be uh, expounding on this. Just how we know, I read on Twitter the, the Choppa style song. I'm sure everyone was thrilled and happy for him. But just with the reaction of his teammates, how did they react 
to the way Teddy played tonight? Well, he got the game ball. Um, and they only give him one game ball after a game like this, and he's the one that got the game ball. I mean, considering the recovery that he had to make from that grotesque injury he had up in Minnesota, to be able to come all the way back and lead a team in a hostile environment like this to a big win, it had to mean a lot to him. And you could tell his teammates uh, you know, genuinely like Teddy Bridgewater. He's, he's a very likable guy. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And uh, I think there's a lot of confidence in him going forward. I mean, if this team plays as well today as it, in, in other aspects of the game, you know, the, the defense you talked about, the, the special teams, uh, we haven't even talked about Thomas Morstead. He had as good a game as a, for a punter as I can remember. Jeff, incredible. Um, I mean, he was yeah. an absolute weapon game changer to give the Saints good position to have their defense succeed. Unbelievable performance by him, no doubt. Yeah, he said he told me afterwards it was a career game for him, and I agree because he knew it was going to be a field position type of game. Uh, you know, it was raining. It was kind of cloudy and damp out there. Uh, two good defenses on the field for the most part, and uh, it played that way early. But, again, the, the, the turnovers, the defensive scoop and score, really changed this game. Uh, but – Getting back to Bridgewater, I mean, you could just tell there was a lot of gratification, personal gratification for him because uh, he overcame a lot of adversity to get back to this point. And, um, yeah, you, you couldn't wipe the smile off of his face. He's got a great smile. And all of his teammates um, genuinely, um, I think, rallied around him this week. And it was funny talking to some players in the locker room about how strange it was to not have Drew Brees even here. I mean, think about it, Larry. Uh I didn't think about this till I got in the postgame locker room, but the Mario Davis had to give the pregame, you know, chant in the end zone. Drew Brees has done that for every game, including the game he missed in Carolina. He does that every game. He's done it since his rookie year. Um, I'm sorry, since his first year in New Orleans. Reggie Bush did it in 2006. Since then, it's always been Brees. And because he wasn't able to be here because of doctors, you know, recommendations about his uh, post-surgery, uh, DeMario Davis handled those duties. And uh, he said, he, I talked to him afterwards, he said, I couldn't even remember what I said. I just tried to get everybody hyped because <laughs> I, I felt there was a lot of pressure on me to, to deliver this, you know, hype speech. And he said that, uh, you know, he took a lot of, um, you know, honor in doing it in place of Drew Brees because Drew Brees has done it so long and done it so well. Um, so I thought that was an interesting, just another good example of how Drew is so important to this team in so many ways, uh, and yet they still managed to kind of rally without him uh, being here today. Well, DeMario, certainly in big-time spots, third down and fourth down, uh, he shot through and made tackles. So it was well worth it for him to make that speech, and we know how important he is to that defense. And let's shift back over. I know I'm going to be I'm, – I'm almost like thinking at the top of my head because there's so many different aspects of this game. So pardon me if I'm a little scatterbrained. But defensively, the fumble recovery, Eli Apple swipes the ball away. Von Bell picks it up. And I'm just having flashbacks to last week. Oh, my gosh, are they going to blow yep. the whistle? And they did not. And I'm assuming the Saints players – we're asked about that, and I'm assuming they're thinking, thank God and baby Jesus that we don't have to go through this again. And I'm thinking, you guys were going to call me while I'm at home, and I'm going to have to call Al Riveron again. I'm just glad I didn't have to do that. And obviously the right thing happened, fumble, touchdown, big-time shift in momentum uh, for the Saints. 
Yeah. And is that amazing that it happened back to back weeks in a very similar situation? And I'm telling <laughs> you, I, I think I thought at one time I heard a whistle go off. And I think Seattle thought a whistle come up. They, they kind of did not rally to the ball at all. They were all kind of confused. And credit the Saints for, uh, you know, not waiting on the whistle or not waiting for the officials to make a play and running that thing into the end zone because that was definitely a huge momentum turn because Seattle, of course, had come back and tied the game, uh, converted a couple big third downs, got the crowd into it, and that just took the wind out of Seattle. And, um, yeah, it was funny. I thought about you, Larry, before the game because they announced in the press box who the pool reporters were. The, the, the lead pool reporter and the backup pool reporter. And I thought, yeah, Larry's not here this week to, to handle those duties. And then I'm thinking, well, here's that guy's moment of glory if, if he has to go down and, and ask about that. But um, and, and several players did say uh, that they did not hear a whistle and that they knew it was a live play. So uh, they, they were happy that it didn't go against them this time. I'm thinking even if the refs blew the official, the, uh, the refs blew the whistle, I mean, they would have just denied it anyway and said, no, we didn't blow it. No, no, you can't prove it. And just they right. would let the play move on and be like, we can't <laughs> screw this up again. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but no, certainly I think that was a big game changer. I mean, we're talking about the score at the, at the end of the first half, but the fact that that play went their way a week, from a week earlier where it didn't, I think they probably had a little bit of extra boost. But, Jeff, we have to spend time – talking about the man of the day, Alvin Kamara. I think, and someone tried to argue with me that maybe the Rams game in L.A. in in his rookie year was his best performance. I'm saying this can arguably be his best performance that we've ever seen, given what he had to do, the tackles he had to shed, and the situation the Saints were in with Drew Brees being out, them playing in Seattle and just how much they had to lean on him. And now you could, here's the thing I have to say, arguably because he's been so good so many times, but I'd say in this spot, it's hard to argue for me that this wasn't his best game uh, of his NFL career, given the circumstances. Yeah, I, I agree, Larry. I mean, all around game, I mean, 92 yards receiving 69 rushing a touchdown each way. Uh, he had what? 25 touches. The saints only had, what I'm trying to look up. They only now. ran 50 plays. offensive plays. So he had half half the touches of their entire offense. Right. I'm sure they didn't go into this game thinking they were going to use him that much, but when you got a hot hand, you got to, you know, you got to play to it. And there were a couple of times I'm sure you saw it on replays. I mean, I asked him about it afterwards. He was busting through a tackle by Jadavian Clowney. Jadavian Clowney could not bring him down. He's wrapped around his legs. It shows you the leg strength that this guy has. And Sean Payton talked about it afterward. What he kept mentioning was how strong he is. And I think that gets overlooked when we think about all the aspects of his game, obviously his elusiveness, his ability to make the first guy miss, his vision, his balance. But he's very strong in his lower body. And that really paid off today because the footing was not great, but it certainly didn't look like it was affecting him out there. I mean, he, he was stopping on a dime, making guys miss. And, and that touchdown uh, before halftime was just, you know, uh, I thought remarkable. Uh, you know, it should have been a 10-yard gain. ends up being a 29-yard kind of backbreaker in the last minute of the first half. The Saints looked to me like they were just trying to position themselves for a field goal. He turns into seven points and I thought took the life out of Seattle. And what was even more remarkable about that screen pass is that 
yes, they had blockers out in front of him, but none of them seemed to actually block anyone. And so he had to shed like four guys and he sheds them all. And then he just stops at about the one and just kind of struts in the end zone as a touchdown. Like, yeah, no big deal. And you could say that's a little bit of flash or whatever. I think it's also a point to where Alvin Kamara is like, look, Seattle, you can't stop me. You tried. And I just made all of you look foolish. And, uh, Anything He could basically almost do anything he wanted. And to me, uh, we've talked about this a lot. And I think, again, this proves maybe my point in that I think Alvin Kamara is the most indispensable player on this team. It's not just because, oh, they happen to win without Drew Brees. They won on his back today. And without him, they don't win this game. No one else no in the NFL outside of, say, Christian McCaffrey could play that well in this offense. And that's it. Uh, I'm, I'm totally convinced now that he's the most indispensable player on this team. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, obviously they won without Drew today. Uh, Alvin Kamara is just a – he's a unique talent. I mean, I'm starting to wonder if he's going to be the – go down as the greatest running back in Saints history. If he keeps this up, I think he is. I don't think he's going to break every record. Uh, that Deuce McAllister has, uh, but they've never had anyone with this blend of. He's almost like a blend of, of say Reggie Bush and Deuce McAllister both. You know, he can run over you. He can kind of break tackles. He's so elusive. He's so smart. Uh, so such a complete player. Uh, certainly is going to be if he keeps this up. Is going to be another Pro Bowler, Pro Bowl season. Uh, but the other thing that I thought stood out today, Larry, was. We're talking about a Seattle defense. The strength is their linebacker core. I mean, uh, KJ Wright um, and um, who am I? I'm blanking on the other linebacker. Bobby people. Wagner. Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner yes. is a, potentially a Hall of Fame player. Right. And he could not tackle Alvin Kamara. I mean, he's as good a linebacker as there is in the league. Uh, and he looked foolish out there trying to tackle him and was getting very frustrated. So um, you have to consider that as well, who he was doing against. This wasn't a bunch of – a bunch of uh, patsies out there. These were really elite tacklers, and they couldn't stop him. I, I think it's the best performance, considering the circumstances, the opponent, what the Saints needed from him, You know the, how important this was. I mean, Sean Payton afterwards said we were a desperate team. They needed this win desperately, coming back home, coming on the heels of that bitter defeat last week, and Camara uh, just put them on their back, like you said. Also, this win – gives them some cushion. Like, they can afford, in my eyes, to lose to Dallas. Could they beat Dallas? Yes. Right now, early odds makers uh, on Bet Online had the Cowboys as a three-point favorite. That doesn't necessarily surprise me. They're playing well. They're 3-0. and they're, they're a good football team. And they've given the Saints some troubles last year. And yet, it wouldn't stun me if they came back and won. But it does give them cushion. I feel like they had to go 1-1 one and one in this stretch to feel good about themselves. And the fact that they win this game instead of us, uh, at least myself, thinking four and four, boy, if, if they get to the midpoint at four and four, they're in good shape. I feel like they can get to the midpoint at five and three now and, and maybe better. So I feel like because you win this game, the bar, uh, the less pressure on the next game, and yet I feel like that that the next game isn't out of the question either. So the fact we've seen them win in such a hostile environment helps them. It also helps when uh, 
Tampa Bay has kicker problems again Woo. and blows it blows a game as bad as they did. Uh, that I mean the, the NFC South, no one's going to run away with this thing, and I think the Saints uh, are in a really positive position considering they're playing without their best player in Drew Brees, but they're in a division that I, I think uh, this year might be one of the worst divisions in the league, and I think um, I, I think they're. Like he, like you said, they could be, they could be five and three by the time they get Breeze back. And and I don't know if you saw this morning uh, Adam Schefter talking on ESPN, but it sounded to me he must have been talking to someone close to Breeze, uh, potentially uh, his agent Tom Condon. But he seems convinced that Breeze is going to try and get back quicker than six weeks, and that that is what he's going to try and do. He visited with Mike Trout, uh, who had the same injury. Uh, fi- trying to find out ways he can expedite his recovery. So if they if they can steal another win or two along the way here, uh, and be above 500 by the time they get him back. Uh, uh, this team, if they play as good as they did today in all the other phases and get Breeze back, they're going to be back to what they were a year ago. Well, think about it. If they get Drew back before the bye week, uh, after the bye week, it's four straight divisional games. So if you're leading the division and then Drew comes back, Boy, you're in really good shape. So that's, but a win like this gives uh, you and me a little more confidence in that team that they're able to do that. And I'm sure within that locker room, it gives them a heck of a lot more confidence where they probably think they can go beat Dallas. And you and me wouldn't be completely stunned if they beat Dallas at this point, just the way that thing, this thing is kind of uh, rolling about. Let me point, get to some other aspects here uh, before we uh, run out of time here on the Duncan Holder podcast here on the Athletics podcast network Uh, the offensive line penalties again I wouldn't harp on it as much this week uh, if it didn't happen last week and it's one thing for it to happen uh, in Seattle where you've got false start penalties in the crowd and you're jumpy because of the offense but it happened last week too what's your level of concern uh, with this offensive line after these last two games well I thought they played well today you know as far as Pass blocking, run blocking. I just thought those those penalties again. They blew up those early drives. Uh, really uncharacteristic again. Uh, but that crowd, you, you've been here. I mean, it, it's a hostile place, and they clearly were struggling. I think also just adjusting to Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. I'm sure he's got a different cadence. Uh, all of it's new, so it's a little understandable. But um, uh, you know, holding calls, uh, they've got to clean that stuff up. That's technique. Um, and they've got that's just not what they're used to. I remember last season, Larry. They, we, we, we. I think you and I both wrote about how their offensive line hardly was penalized at all. I mean, right. Larry Warford and Max Unger. I, I think both those guys hadn't had a pre-snap penalty in like two years or something. All that's out the window this year. But they played in a you know a couple of road games. They get to come back home now, and every time I think every game they play with Bridgewater should clean up a lot of that because they get more familiar with with how he calls a game and what he does under center. It's certainly different than what Drew Brees does. Um, but I, I thought they actually played well today. I, I don't remember Bridgewater being under nearly as much pressure as he was last week in, in Los Angeles. I would agree with you there. It also helps that you're not against Aaron Donald because he makes everyone look rough. So I guess it was like the worst-case scenario last week. Uh, when Teddy had to come in. But, yeah, I I agree that the offensive line, they calmed down with the penalties in the second half. Everything seemed calm because I feel like that the Saints uh, were starting to kind of 
get on a little bit of a roll there. And we can't ignore the special teams. Look, Deontay Harris has the big return, the energizer. Thomas Morstead with incredible punts. Uh, and then you look at even after Deontay Harris's fumble, they still go down and stop him. I mean, that to me it was like, whoa, how, how were they able to overcome that? So, uh, But I know Sean Payton's kind of comments about Deontay Harris were, were high and low, uh, but that's right. to be expected. It, it, it reminded me of old Marcus Murphy last time they returned a punt. Good times, and then, boy, you could see some boneheaded things uh, uh, from Murphy. Yeah, and I, uh, I don't want to take anything away from the Saints because uh, this was a great win, great team win. It's a tough place to play. But I thought Seattle just really did not play very well today. I mean, they made a lot of bonehead mistakes. They were getting away with those mistakes in their first two games. Uh, the coverage this week out here in Seattle focused a lot on that, that this team was fortunate to be 2-0, and that they won two games by a total of three points, one against the Bengals, who um, you know we see their record right now, and the other in Pittsburgh when Ben Roethlisberger got knocked out. So I think this team – uh, has a long way to go. And today they didn't play well enough to beat very many teams at all. I, I didn't think they did really anything very well. Uh, shot themselves in the foot themselves with a lot of penalties and some of the decision-making. And the other thing that um, also reared its head, Larry, uh, for the Saints in a negative way was, once again, their two-minute defense gives up a huge play, and they were fortunate that uh, some questionable clock management right before halftime by Pete Carroll, it's like, Seattle didn't know what to do. They didn't know whether just to let the clock run out uh, and just go to, go to the locker room or to try and score, and they kind of did neither, and it cost them three points there at the end. But, again, how does D.K. Metcalf get behind the secondary in that situation for a 54-yard gain? It, it blows my mind how these plays keep happening. And another game ball does get to go to Pete Carroll for that boneheaded play, and then – uh, Russell Wilson admitted to making a check on that other fourth down where he took a shot down the field. And you're not hearing it, but Tony Romo is actually calling that in the booth that, all right, Russell's going to see this and he's going to take a shot deep. And he did it exactly what, what he said he would do. <laughs> but uh, it, it also when Russell Wilson ran uh, for the touchdown, he says, all right, Russell Wilson's going to see Marshawn Lattimore and try to test him. And he did, and he was right again. So Romo props to him again. But Jeff, I don't want to harp on one guy, but I'm just telling you that because I did our chat. I mean, I did our five-hour marathon chat on, on The Athletic. Marshawn Lattimore's name comes up a lot. It comes up a lot on social media. People are wondering, what's the deal? And it just – his name continues to be connected to issues, say, less than, say, even Eli Apple, less than P.J. Williams. We're hearing a lot more about Marshawn Lattimore's name, and it's not for making interceptions and – I'm wondering if that's a bit of a concern for the Saints. Uh, heading back to last year where he, he wasn't the same guy as he was in 2017. Yeah, it seems like he's not playing with the same swagger or confidence, and I guess that happens when you give up a few big plays. He he did end up with 12 tackles today, team-high 12 tackles. I don't, I don't know if that's good or bad because he, he either he's getting targeted a lot. Uh, one pass defense, they had three as a team. Um but, again, they, they were not really under a lot of pressure. It looked to me like Seattle, for the most part, was trying to do the quick passing game, get the ball out to the perimeter players uh, very quickly in short, the short game. And then th their game plan kind of went out the window once they got down three scores. Uh, but I'm with you. Uh, you know, it's funny, Larry, because I feel like 
these balls that he's given up, he's not in horrible position. It's just, you know, I don't know if it's just a run of bad luck or big plays happening against you, but I don't remember him going through a stretch like this at any time in his first two years. He had maybe like a game where you'd say, oh, that was kind of an off game. But he's kind of had three games now so far this year where he's he's certainly hasn't looked down a sh- like a shutdown corner. Uh, teams are certainly not scared to go after him. And I remember there was a point at the end of his rookie year, early last year, where people hardly even tested him, and, and that's not the case anymore. Yeah, it's almost like they don't fear him as much as they used to, and that's kind of the explanation right. I gave yeah, within our chat that it just seems like they, teams are willing to test him. And, and he's not always on the best receiver because – some of these games, they don't necessarily have a number one, so he just kind of plays aside. So that's something we're going to have to monitor uh, because you know some bigger boys and some bigger games are going to be coming forward. But let's certainly end this pod on a positive note. Jeff, the coaching strategy. You have to give it all up to Sean Payton, the offensive staff, the defensive staff. They outcoached Pete Carroll and his staff. They, in, in Sean Payton's words like last week, they whooped them. And I think it was overall everything they did, uh, the calls that they made, even the blitz on fourth down uh, where Russell Wilson tries to go to the end zone. He's rattled just enough to throw it too long to Tyler Lockett. And that's a blitz call by Dennis Allen. And so I got to give every coach on that staff credit. I I think they did a tremendous job, A-plus effort by them. And you know what? I don't think it happens unless they elect to stay out here and not go back to Louisiana. I think that was a really good call by Sean Payton. And, of course, they did that months ahead of time. They decided they were going to do that way back when. But a lot of coaches, a lot of players I talked to this week uh, in the locker room today said this week uh, really galvanized the team. They were out here on their own. They were focused on football. They were obviously focused after losing that game last week. They were kind of like a desperate team, as Sean Payton said. And Demario Davis said in the locker room, how well they prepared this week. They felt like the coaches had a great plan. Uh, they had a lot of confidence in it. They practiced real well this week, and I think it helped them hanging out together. Uh, you know, it was almost like a little mini mini camp for them to be out here on this West Coast trip for two weeks together. No family, no friends, just just hanging out with your teammates and coaches. And I think it paid off in, in a really good game plan, like you said, and clearly, uh, uh, you know, uh, laser focus on the task at hand. I mean, this team was locked in from the from the opening kickoff. You could just sense it, uh, and it, it showed the way they played today. This was easily, I think, their best all-around game of the season and one of the best they've had in a couple of years. Well, the Saints leave Seattle, come back home for a Sunday night matchup against the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas is 3-0. and Saints are 2-1. and The NFC South division leaders – at this point and of course check out all of our coverage of all things from this game jeff duncan's going to have his column Catherine terrell's working on her column as we're recording this podcast as jeff is still up in the press box and of course we'll have all kinds of coverage leading up uh, to next sunday's game as well also if you want to check out another podcast our cohorts that cover the seahawks you can go to the seahawks man-to-man podcast and hear it from their end Uh, what happened or what did not happen for the Seahawks. So uh, for Jeff Duncan in Seattle, Larry Holder here in New Orleans, we'll link back up uh, later on this week uh, for our second podcast. Of course, that one is behind the paywall of The Athletic. This one you're listening to right now, 
You can find it on Apple, Spotify, where all things podcasts exist. And of course, rate, review, do all that good stuff. Keep keep us on the air uh, or uh, someone else will be doing this podcast. Danielle, our intrepid <laughs> producer, she, she might have to do it and probably bring better insight. Do. I think she yes. Yeah, exactly. So awesome. For Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for listening once again to Duncan Holder. And we will talk to you again later on this week. Thanks for listening.